If you have your Bibles in hand, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, if you're using the, the Pew Bible, uh, that is on page 1016-1017. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure for the church ministers to be preaching through First uh, Peter since January, and so uh, I have the privilege of, of drawing this to an end. Uh, throughout this book, uh, Peter has encouraged the churches throughout Asia Minor to dwell on the hope they have in Christ and the grace given to them by God during widespread suffering under the hand of Emperor Nero. Uh, Josh talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, suffering for Christians will be status quo until Christ returns. We, we probably need to hear that again, that suffering for Christ will be status quo until Christ returns. And it will be through suffering as Christians that uh, we will have an intimacy with our Savior because he suffered for us. So let us... Hear from God's word now from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Balsavanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. And God, as we come now and we 
look at your word. We pray that the spirit would impress upon us all your word, Father, your meaning, that we would become more like Christ, less like ourselves, more in love with you, God. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to wander through life doubting you, wondering what you would have us do in our circumstances, especially as we suffer. But God, you give us direction. You give us your word. May it be applied. Father, may he who brings this sermon be a channel for your spirit. And if anything is said that is not according to you, we'll blot it out from these dear people. But Father, if you would have us leave with a thus saith the Lord, drive it deep into our souls, to the very marrow of our heart. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is the infallible, inerrant word of our God. Thus we listen to it, we hear it. As I said, I am privileged to close out this epistle. We've been preaching through it since January. And as uh, Peter, at the very beginning, sends this letter to the churches that are in Asia, Asia Minor with the hope that they will be encouraged and be strengthened in their faith because they are suffering. Um, again, as, as Pastor Josh preached Last week, Nero had taken upon himself to persecute Christians, even to the point of burning them in his gardens at night as he walked through. And so that persecution had spread throughout the Roman Empire, and it was falling upon the Christians. And they were wondering, what's going on, God? We're suffering. What is happening how are we to respond and so Peter is writing and he's telling them that you can have hope and you can be blessed and there is a purpose and a reason in your suffering and now this last chapter he turns to the elders of the church who are the leaders urging them and encouraging them to be faithful to fulfill their duties and ministry to the people that are under them. There are a few passages which clearly show the importance of leadership in the church. Uh, this week, as I was driving back and forth down Hardy and other places, I just happened to uh, turn on radio. It was a sports station, and uh, f- for you that, that care, the NBA playoffs are going on, and uh, they were talking about players out of the NBA, the National Basketball Association. And these two guys were on the radio were saying, these are the types of players that you could build a team around. If we were going to start a team today, and they started naming these players, a few of them I'd heard of, but a number of them I haven't. And I'm not a really a die-in-the-wool follower of the NBA. But they said things like, these guys are talented. They have ability on the court. But they're also 
men of good character. And they have the ability to get along with everybody on the team, on and off the court. And they're respected both by the owners and by the fans. And they work hard. And they're good examples to their fellow teammates. And these are the kind of men that if I was starting a team, I would want to build around. Leadership is important in sports. It's important in business. It's important in politics. And it's important in Christ's church. There are three different types of leadership in the church today. Uh, there is the church that is led from the top down by bishops, uh, like the Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, in, in a Methodist church, where one man makes important decisions and, and calls the shots, and it comes down, and people obey, and people respond, and people are led. And then there's the congregational church. As our Baptist friends and a lot of independent churches, they, they meet, uh, they have uh, church meetings, and they have votes on a particular uh, subject or, or whatever, and whoever side gets the most votes wins. It's everybody has a vote, and they vote on everything. I have never been a Baptist before. My wife has been, and she's informed me a little bit about that. Maybe some of you have been a Baptist or come from congregational-led churches. But then there's the representative church, which is a Presbyterian church. And we have elders that are elected to the office. We also have deacons. And when it comes to borrowing money or buying or selling property or calling or dismissing pastors or electing elders and deacons, we have church meetings and you vote. But every other thing that happens, you have elected officers, you have elected elders to be the spiritual oversight of you. And then we've also elected deacons to help the elders and so it is important that as we look at God's word today, and by the way, I know I'm biased, but I think the representative aspect of church government is the most biblical, which we have. Um, anybody can say they disagree, but I believe as you look at God's word, what Paul and what Peter tell us, we have the most biblical representative government in a church. Now, church elders are compared to shepherds. By the way, there are two types of elders. There's the ruling elder, which is elected from among the people from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And then there are teaching elders, which... Pastor Josh, Pastor Zeke, and I are teaching elders. We are not members of this membership of this church. We are members of Presbytery. But we are elders, and we sit as a session, ruling elders, teaching elders. So in a sense, this passage is talking to the elders, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a ruling elder. And 
Peter, just like we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, talks about elders being shepherds. It's not a new thought. We see it in Psalm 23. And in the Middle East, there are two kinds of shepherds. There are the shepherds that drive the flock. They get behind them and drive them. And then there are the shepherds that go before them and call their name, the sheep's name, and the sheep follow them. That's what Jesus described himself as in John 10. And this is, in my opinion, what this section of Scripture, when it's describing an elder, a leader of the church, it's one who goes before and the people follow after them. In the Greek, the word for elder is presbyteros. Hence, we get the word Presbyterian. It means elder. We're going to look at three things about the elder in this passage, or elders, because it's very plural, elders. Number one, the importance of elders to shepherd the flock. Number two, how are elders to shepherd the flock? And then number three, what happens when elders shepherd the flock? There's so much in here, we're, we're not going to hit it all, but those are the three points that we're going to land on. First of all, the importance of elders to shepherd the flock. We, we see this in verse 1 and 2. Peter says, if you look, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as partaker in the glory of that is going to be revealed. Peter could have said, as he mentions here, I saw Jesus and I walked with Jesus. I saw him crucified. Then I saw him risen. And then I spoke with him. And then he gave me my marching orders. And then I was there when he ascended into heaven. And I'm an apostle and you ought to be listening to me. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm with you. I'm an elder shepherding the church. And it's a whole different feeling when somebody comes and says, you ought to do this because I'm the expert. And then when somebody comes and says, this is what we ought to do. This is what I've learned, and I want to share this with you. And this is what Peter's doing. He's personal, and he's encouraging, and he stresses his shared leadership my Old Testament professor, Dr. Kistemacher, in his commentary on First Peter, says that Peter is stressing the task or the ministry of the office and not the age. Granted, a lot of the elders were older members, but he's saying this is really about the office and the ministry of an elder. And Peter encourages them in the responsibility that God has placed upon the shepherd that they are to lead the sheep. And the sheep or the members or the congregation or the visitors. We see this in Psalm 81 when we are told that God is the shepherd of Israel. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Peter in verse 2 tells the elders to exercise oversight of the flock. The Greek meaning of this means to focus on their interest and to help them as they go through 
life. Which brings us, why do we need shepherds? Why do we need elders? Why do we not need just somebody tell us what to do and we just do it? I hate to bring this up to you, but being compared to a sheep is not always a great thing. Um, sheep can't protect themselves. They're not very smart. Uh, they get into a lot of trouble on their own. If they fall over on their back, they don't get up. Uh, being called a sheep, it's not a great thing. But they can flourish and they can be wonderful if they have a shepherd to help them and to guide them and to protect them and to focus on their needs. And that's what we have as our great shepherd in heaven, Jesus Christ, who guides us in loving kindness, brings us before the throne of grace. We're spirit-filled and we're Christ-led. And that is an encouragement to us. In John, or in Acts 20, 28 through 29, Peter says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, a fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That, by the way, was from Paul, not Peter. That's Acts 20, 28 through 29. I think I've told this story before, but uh, my father was a pastor down in Bruton, Alabama, South Alabama. And he wanted to have a live nativity scene. And he went to the elders and said, I would like to get horses, cows, donkeys, sheep, goats, camels if we can find them. And then have a live nativity scene for people to come. And then have our people be Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And they said, all right, preacher, go for it. And he says, one thing, though, you're going to have to take care of their business you're going to have to shovel out the stalls every night he said I'll do that um, he only did that once by the way but um, he found donkeys goats horses cows found a camel south Mississippi but he couldn't find sheep he looked about 30 square miles and then came back to the others I can't find sheep they said we're not surprised because they're troublesome. They're a pain. And it's, you can't find them. And so we're, we're like that. We're like the sheep. And Peter is recalling his own commissioning. And, and John 21 probably when he remembers Jesus pulling him to the side. And telling Peter, says, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? He says, yes, Lord. Tend my sheep. Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Then he says, take care of my sheep. He commissions Peter. When Peter thought, hey, I've blown it. Because he's gone back to fishing. He says, God can't use me. And God, through Jesus Christ, says, yeah, I can. You haven't blown it so much. You're a broken sinner just like the rest. In fact, I'm going to build my church upon you. Now you come here and you understand this. I want you to take care of my sheep, which are my people. I'm sure Peter is thinking that when he's 
talking to these elders, reminding them in a way that just as Jesus told me to take care of the sheep, I want you to take care of your sheep in your church. Jack Kennedy, a missionary we support, is so good at encouraging and pointing out things to me. And we were talking the other day, and uh, he was reminding me that, that God gives us authority, proper authority, like policemen, like teachers, coaches, parents, bosses, elders, that if we can't properly submit to leadership like that, we're going to have a hard time submitting ourselves to God. And God gives us examples of leaders over us to help us and guide us. And it's a way of saying, as you and children, listen, children, as you obey your parents in the Lord, in the sense what you are doing is you're obeying God. Because God has given our fathers, our mothers to us to shepherd us and take care of us so that when you leave the house one day, you're going to be ready when you step out on your own to say, God, you've prepared me. I've been listening to my mother. I've been listening to my father. And they've been listening to you. And now I go out and I'm listening and I'm ready to obey. Hopefully it didn't take till they leave 18 or 19, but they've been listening and obeying before then. But that's the idea. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do, do evil and to praise those who do good. That's from 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14. And he's writing that about Nero. But he's saying about proper government we submit ourselves to. Because as you submit yourself to proper authority, in a sense you're submitting yourself to the most proper authority of all, and that's the living God. The flock's the Lord's. And as we talk to elders here, elders, elders emeritus, the church members, the flock are not ours. It's not for us to use our members for our own use. And for members, it's not for you to rebel against proper leadership. We're to be diligent. And by the way, you could say, well, I'm not an elder. So this doesn't have anything to do with me. If you are a leader, this has something to do with you. If you lead in any way, if you have children at your job, if you teach a class, if you have people that look up to you, these principles apply to you. If you are a Christian, you are a leader, these principles apply to you. Be diligent to pray for our leaders. Pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for Pastor Zeke and Pastor Josh. Pray for all your elders. I'm going through an inquirer's class right now, and we've gone over the five questions that are asked. The last question that is asked is, do you promise to submit yourself to the leadership of this church and promote its peace and purity? And we're going over the, the polity, that's the government, and it's important because they, in verse 4, they're going to appear before the chief shepherd. One day, every elder 
every deacon, but every elder is going to appear before God and they're going to give an account to you, about you. And so it's, you need to be praying for us. Be praying for our elders. Which brings us, how are elders to shepherd the flock? How are we as elders to be shepherding you guys? And how are you to be encouraging the shepherds of you? Well, in verse 2 and 3, it gives three positives and three negatives. It says that shepherds of the flock among you, that as they exercise oversight, they're not to do it under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have them, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Sam Storms gives us three good things about the negative. Number one, an elder's not to be an elder for the praise of man. An elder's not to be an elder for profit. An elder's not to be an elder for the love of power. It's not for your ego. It's not for your resume. It's not because you have character issues or status in life and you want to tell people what to do. That's not why you become an elder. If that's your driving influence, then you should step down. The positives, though. It says willingly because you do this as God wants you to do it. You want to do it. Also, you're an example to the flock. You do it out of love and you do it out of praise for the glory of Jesus Christ. He wants you to use your gifting out of gratitude for what Jesus has done. Last time I checked, ruling elders weren't paid. Teaching elders are, but I will give you a, a little sidebar for any of you thinking about going into the ministry to be a pastor. Don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the money. I know that, by the way, a lot of our elders have not made some of the money they could have the last 6 to 12 months. But you, as elders, are to be an example to the flock. They're to look at you and say, I know you're not perfect, but I want to be like you in my faith. As I walk down this path, and as a Christian, I look at you, and you encourage me. I remember when I was in high school playing football, and I was the wide receiver. This is a long time ago when they ran the ball and didn't throw it much. So they put people like me out wide. And, uh, and then on defense, they put me in the safety as far back as you could. So by the time if the guy got to you, it was pretty bad. So I was wide out and far back. And uh, on Fridays, we, we wore our jerseys to school. And I'm walking along wearing my number 40. And uh, this mother comes up to me <clears throat> and says, my son wants number 40 because you wear number 40. And he's, he watches you play. And then she walks away. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. I said, what's he doing watching me? He should be watching these other guys. They're much better than me. But I remember that night going, I got a little boy up there watching me. And I better run my routes even if I don't get the ball thrown to me. I better block best I can 
even though I'm not going to run the ball. And if a guy gets loose and he's running for a touchdown, I better give it all to bring him down because there's somebody that I didn't even know watching me. And elders, we have a congregation there. They're watching you, and you're to be an example to them. That is pressure, but it's also opportunity, and that's encouragement. Verses 5 through 6, as you read this, humility is mentioned three times, and that's to mark a servant leader. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. By the way, it says all of you. And this is not just for elders we can say all of us if you're a christian as all of us we're to be humble clothe yourself all of you with humility surely peter had in mind when he was using this wording jesus in john 13 verse 5 when he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him here is the son of god the second person of the Trinity, wiping and washing the disciples' feet. That's humility. And he says, elders, you clothe yourself with that type of humility. The Greek means submitting to God's arrangement with a view to others, not to yourself. And it says in verse 6, humble yourself before the mighty right hand of God. The idea of the Old Testament, God brought the children of Israel out with the mighty right hand. A reference to the Old Testament, a bondage and slavery coming out of Egypt. Elders, serve the congregation with humility because God has delivered you from your sins and delivered them from their sins. You are to help them in their walk. Verse 7 says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When you go through tough times, elders, and it's been tough, you cast your cares upon God and the worries that you have. And it's just not for elders, it's for everybody. Whatever you're going through, you cast, throw your anxieties to God. You give them to Him. And one person said, you interpret the Greek because it matters to God about you. You matter to God. Every one of you, no matter how young you are, how old you are, no matter where you are in station in life, you matter to God if you're his child. And he says, if something's bothering you, you let me know through prayer. Give it to me. Then he says in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist them, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Elders, sober-minded, clear, understanding that there is an enemy out there of God and you, Satan, the devil. He wants to destroy and consume our church. Better respect the power of the evil one. Be ready for his attempts and his assaults. Elders must lead in resisting the attacks on the church of the evil one. Ephesians six ten through 13, putting on the whole armor of God is a blueprint. Putting on 
the armor of God, God's word, the truth of righteousness, the good news, the gospel of peace, prayer, the Holy Spirit, standing firm in the faith, keeping alert. Jude 3 says, contend for the faith that once was delivered to all the saints. Elders, we contend for the faith, we protect the flock, we fight the evil one. Which brings us to our last point. What happens when elders shepherd the flock? Verse 10 is very encouraging. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He says that as we fight, as you lead, God's going to do some things. Number one, he's going to restore. That's for orthopedic doctors out there. It means setting the bone, getting it back right. It's for my dentist right there, get my tooth right. God says that after you suffer, as you lead the flock, God's going to set things right in the church. He'll set things right in your life. The sovereignty of God. Confirm you. Verses 9 through and 12 talks about standing firm. And confirming means that you stand on granite foundation. All the other stuff is gone away, but you're standing on what is left. Building your life on Christ and the promises and his commands. I'm sure he was thinking back to Matthew 7 when he heard this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Then it says to strengthen you. That's for those that lift weights, it's to get rid of the flabbiness and to make yourself strong, strengthen you. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But especially in times of suffering, as we trust God and we obey God in love and trust humility, God is going to repair what is lacking and strengthen us in our faith and our character, our sanctification, and elders in our church. Which brings us to establish you, the final blessing of faith that is given. Notice throughout the Bible, I mean, especially throughout this Peter, especially this chapter, verses 1, 4, 6, 7, and 10, the road to eternal glory is traveled by all Christians through pain and suffering. To a right standing with God, clothed in his righteousness, and it's going to result in a place where there is no sin, no brokenness, no pain, no tears, only per- perfection. We will suffer. God's going to use it. One day, we're going to see him face to face. And it's going to be just for a little bit that we've suffered. But there's a purpose. There is hope. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory that will be good and faithful servant. That is a hope to all of us That is a hope for all of us that are elders, deacons, parents, leaders, leaders at school. The book ends with a couple of things. Salvanius, faithful brother. He was a man who stepped in when Mark, who is mentioned later on, verse 13, he bugs out. He's gone. He's blown it. And then Peter mentions himself. He blew it. You got three people. 
And Sylvanus is trying to help people. He's helping Paul. He's helping Peter. He's helping Mark. And Peter says, look, we're forgiven. We've been broken, but God is still using us and we love you. And then he ends this way. The peace to all of you who are in Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied with you. He, he ends the book as he starts it. What is that peace? Being in a right relationship with the living God. I hope everybody here is in a right relationship with the living God. If you're not, you need to come see me. See Josh or Elder or Zeke. Find out how you can be at peace with God. I'm going to pray in a second, but we're going to have a different hymn. I, I cleared it with Lowe and Jesse. It's going to be hymn 702, Peace, Perfect Peace. There's a guy named Bickersteth. He wrote this hymn in 1875. He was a minister at a church, and he was undergoing some conflict. And he was called to a house. A member of his was dying. And he said he didn't have long to live. And he said, would you come and encourage him? Because he needs to be encouraged. He's afraid. And his, this man came. He, he wrote, or he read Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, who stayed upon you, who trusts in you. And he stepped away from the dying man's bed. And he wrote down, basically these words because he'd been thinking about them and then he came back and he he told him them and then the man died peace perfect peace in this dark world of sin the blood of jesus whispers peace within let's pray father we thank you that as we suffer there's purpose and meaning there's hope there's glory one day father all that's going to be gone but in the meantime, Father, I pray for our church. I pray for our elders who lead it. I pray that, Father, we would come together and that we would submit ourselves to your rule through the leadership of elders, deacons, our Sunday school teachers, our women leaders, Father, through our nursery. Father, we thank you that we have peace with you, reconciled to you through the blood of Jesus Christ who suffered on our behalf, took our sins. So Father, when we do suffer, may we participate in the suffering that saved our souls. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.